Our guest today is one of the original organizers of the I Did Run. He has won the famous race in 1983. He also has one of the most dramatic finishes in race history, beating Rick Swenson by the nose of a dog. Please welcome to the show, Dick Mackey. Hello, Dick, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. With this being the 50th anniversary of the Diderod, we are going to start off with a little Diderod trivia. We have five questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question, who founded the Diderod? Who did what? Founded the Diderod. Who started the Diderod? A fellow, a good friend of mine called Joe Reddington Sr. <laughs> Correct. Second question, who won the very first edited run? Dick Wilmarth from okay. Red Devil, Alaska. Third question, who was the first female edited champion? Who was the first what? Female champion, edited champion. The first edited champion. Who was, was Dick Wilmarth, yeah. Female. Female. Oh, first female. I'm sorry. Libby Riddles. Good. Fourth question. What was the closest finish? The closest finish was mine. <laughs> In 1978, when I beat uh, Rick Swenson, the defending champion, by one second. Fifth question. Who was the oldest person to ever finish the I Did Uh Colonel Norman Vaughn. Correct. You got five out of five. <laughs> I, I did okay, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I have been a sprint uh, racer, and, uh, and then in 1966, I was introduced to the Iditarod when we had a a three-day, 28-mile race over a, a section of the Iditarod, and that was to celebrate the centennial of Alaska. And, uh, and uh, I came to Alaska in 1959 and immediately uh, got a sled dog from my oldest son, Rick, and that started us in the, in the dog business. Since this is the 50th anniversary of the race, we'd love to get some history from you. You are one of the original organizers of the race. Can you talk to us about what sparked the idea for this race? Talk to you about... Ask her to repeat. Re repeat that. Talk to you about what now? What, what sparked the idea? What sparked the idea for the race? Well, uh, we... We, those of us that lived on the highway system, and, and I lived in the Anchorage area at that time, we got most of our dogs from guys out in the various villages that had had dogs for many years. And about that time, snow machines became very prevalent. And, and so the villagers w were were getting rid of their dogs because they didn't have to fish for them and they didn't have to take care of them year-round. And so 
we tried to come up with something that would show that uh, you need to keep the sled dogs as well as snow machines. And so we thought if we put on a long distance race and we went through as many villages as we could, that that might, that might help. And to give you an example of how successful that was, Back in 1973, the first Iditarod, there was one tourist dog team in, in Nome where we ended the race. And today there's probably 40 or 50 teams in the Nome area. So it, and, and people that had thought about getting rid of their dogs decided to keep them. And it's, a, it's an event that's spread not only all over Alaska and, and uh, the United States, it's spread all over the world. Can you talk to us about the Deirdre Trail itself? Why is this trail so famous? <laughs> well, it's rather unusual to have a race over a thousand miles long. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, I, I think that uh, it's just caught the imagination of, of people, you know, uh, like, like yourself. I, I don't know how old you are now, but if you decided you wanted to, to run the Iditarod, when you, got, when you got a certain age and had a certain amount of uh, experience, uh, you're, you're open to, to running it. And it's, it's a challenge, it's a, uh, and it's a great accomplishment uh, to finish it. So that, that makes it, that makes it uh, uh, be appreciated by, for the average person that, that perhaps isn't even, uh, uh, you know, athletic. They, they know that if they, if they set their mind to it, they could do it. Let's talk about the very first race. What were those early races like? Oh, well, the only difference, the only comparison between those early races and today is you're still going to take a dog team from one end to the other. But back in the early days, we didn't run at night like they do today. Uh, one, one set of batteries for your headlight would would suffice for the whole trail. Uh, we did a lot of snowshoeing. Uh, we actually would search for the trail in a great many areas where the, where the wind would blow and it would obscure the trail. And, and uh, uh, we, we, counted, uh, we counted on the uh, guys in the various villages to put in that section of the trail because we didn't have our own uh, trail crew in the early years. And, uh, the, first, the first couple of years, we, we uh, uh, actually built fires and cooked our dog food. Uh, uh, today, uh, they have stoves that they've developed just for that. And, and it's, they have a groomed trail. They have a well-marked trail, which they didn't have in the early years. Uh, the first few years, uh, we didn't think about booties on dogs. We we had ointment. We, if a dog got a, 
got a blister on its foot or something, we'd put our ointment on it. And today, uh, you put booties on the dogs. Uh, I think the, they'd have a fit if they didn't see booties on a dog today. And we used to brag on how few booties we, that we might need. I know one year uh, I said I used 12 booties the whole race, and, and my buddy Joe Reddington said, huh, that's too bad I didn't use any. Well, today you, you run all the time with booties, and the, the equipment's changed, the sleds have changed, uh, even the musher's clothing has changed. Was there always a ceremonial start? Is what now? Was there always a ceremonial start? Well, uh, I don't know if I call it a ceremonial start. Uh, probably the third year, uh, we just the first couple of years we just started to race, and and then the the third year. Uh, we started on uh, uh, one of the main streets of Anchorage, and that started, I guess, what you'd call a ceremonial start. And then it it progressed to the point where people could bid on being a rider uh, uh, in a musher sled, and uh, and that still holds on today. Uh, but the first the first two years. We started in Anchorage and and uh, ran right straight through. Today you have the, the ceremonial start, which is about 13 miles long, and then the following day you go to Willow and start the race, which is about 70 road miles out of Anchorage. There are 20 or so checkpoints along the way. How were the specific villages chosen for checkpoints? How were they what? How were the specific villages chosen for checkpoints? Well, uh, I'm the one that set up the checkpoints. <laughs> <laughs> the funny part of it is uh, the checkpoint system was set up following the first race. And uh, I flew I flew to all, all along the trail all the way to Nome and uh, some of the some of the checkpoints uh, were just automatic because of their location in a in a given town. Uh, the first race, Perina Dog Food Company donated 20 tons of dog food, and we we flew in out along the trail uh, in in places where some of the dog food would show up, and people would say, "What's this for?" Well, it's, it's a race that's going to happen in another month or two. And, uh, and so following that first race, I went out and set up the present checkpoint system, which is in some cases different than the first few races. Uh, let's see, Ofer, for instance, was not an official checkpoint. Takatna was not a checkpoint. Uh, and there was a place called Gaines Creek, which is not too far from Ophir. And that was a checkpoint, but only for the first couple of years. And uh, it's because we, we knew someone that had a, had a gold mine, for instance. And at Pullman, uh, 
we we knew the we knew the gentleman that he and his wife had a gold mine there, and so we made that a checkpoint before you got to Ruby. But then when you got to Ruby, it was established village. When you got to Galena and so forth, those were established villages. And so, but it was probably the first half of the race that wasn't necessarily villages, but but just uh, places or, or roadhouses along the along the route. Can you share with us some very memorable races or finishes that have stood out? Oh, just a minute. Uh, I might just well tell you. I I wear a hearing aid, so sometimes I don't hear too well, and I have my have my wife interpret for me here. <laughs> Say that again, please. Can you share with us some very memorable races or finishes that have stood out? Sometimes there's places where there's hardly any. Uh, uh, I, I can remember coming into Nome at 40 below zero and the wind blowing, and other times coming into Nome. Uh, when it, one time it was raining, and uh, which was unbelievable. We, <laughs> we'd stop and beg garbage bags and use the rain gear because <laughs> we just didn't anticipate that. And then we worried about how the dogs would fare in different temperatures. And the dogs don't like 40 below zero any more than you and I would like 40 below zero. Uh, and they eat a lot more food. Oh, and another, another big change is the first few years, there was no straw for the dogs. When we camped for any extended period of time, we'd, we'd cut down the the branches off of spruce trees and put boughs down for them. Well, you can imagine what would happen in a, there's only so many places where it looks like a good place to camp. And pretty soon there was no firewood, there were no more small trees to, to cut the branches down. And so that all developed so that pretty soon we were shipping out straw for all the dogs. And that was a big deal. Because if a dog loses, we'll say five pounds in 24 hours, uh, that's like you losing 50 pounds in 24 hours, and 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 it's really detrimental. So you had to keep up the weight on the dogs, uh, and and you had the first few years. One, the first year we had one veterinarian for the entire race. The next year we had three. And, and now there are uh, two and three vets at every checkpoint. So that's another change that's been made, all for the benefit of the dogs. But as far as, as far as, uh, as far as memorable races, I, I guess the, the greatest one was the one second finish. It, it's, uh, it, it got me, it got me into the Alaska Sportsman's Hall of Fame because of that one 
one-second finish. Yeah. And then, of course, when Libby Riddles being the first woman to, to win in 1985, that was a memorial event. You have one of the most memorable finishes. You beat Rick Swanson by the nose of a dog. Can you talk to us about that finish in 1978? Well, <laughs> Rick, Rick Swanson was the defending champion, and he was 18 years my junior. At that time, I ended up being the, the oldest person ever to to win the race. I was 45 at the time. And he and I, uh, I made up my mind that, that I had been involved in the Iditarod, the organizational part of it uh, since the beginning and, and took up a lot of time. And, and I made up my mind I was going to train my dogs and see if I could win the thing. And uh, and Rich Swenson, as far as I was concerned, was the man to beat, and he was, as it turned out. And uh, so we raced each other for oh, nearly 800 miles. And uh, <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't get away from me, and I couldn't get away from him. And uh, and uh, we 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 were competitors, but we were also friends. And uh, uh, he could have, he could have won one second in front of me just as much as I did him. But uh, uh, it wasn't until we came down the, the last mile that that uh, we were both just pushing as hard as we could push and driving our dogs for everything there was left. And and uh, I just lucked out and beat him by one second. That's all. <laughs> it. Uh, I, I thought at the time that was probably uh, the greatest accomplishment, but now I look back and being a part of the organizing the first race and after 50 years, I have to think that's the greatest accomplishment. A lot, have, a lot of changes have happened to the race since it began. What are your thoughts on those changes? Well, I, I, I have to think they're all good. Uh, I don't think there's as much friendship amongst the mushers as there used to be. Uh, we used to camp more together and, and enjoy stories together. Today, I think, I think uh, the, at least half the mushers anyway, are very professional and they're out to they're out to win the race. Before, perhaps it was it was the trip itself that counted. Excuse me, I got to cough. And so I don't. I think all the advancements in dog breeding, dog care, veterinarian care, the trail, the whole business. I think it's, I think that's been beneficial. I think that perhaps in the villages, it's like anything. If, if you see the same thing for, for 50 years, it it's, uh, gets to be kind of commonplace and, and old, but uh, 
it's it's a it's a tremendous challenge, and just to finish such an event, most sports, you know, you you compete as a as a either as an individual or as a member of a team, and and it's completely different when you when you're working with fourteen. Uh, different animals that you you can't literally speak the same language. Uh, it's, it's it's quite an accomplishment. Besides changes in the race itself, there has been changes in the dogs. What types of changes have you seen in the dogs? Well, for instance, the first few years, most of the dogs were descendants and breeding of village dogs, which had been around for generations. And they were work animals. And over a period of time, in the sprint, so-called sprint races, and when I say sprint races, anywhere from just a few miles, the, the longest race uh, in modern times anyway, was the North American and Fairbanks, and it had it was a three-day race, two 25-mile heats, and the last day was a 30-mile heat, and that was considered extreme. 30 miles. Just imagine running a team of dogs 30 miles, and those dogs had been perfected. The breeding, a lot of hounds were introduced into them. And then along came long-distance racing. And they were no mid-distance races like there are today. Along came long-distance racing. And I found that my slowest sprint dog was my best long-distance dog because not long after laughter running, he would trot instead of lope. And so now it's developed into the breeding where dogs trot, but they trot at an exceedingly fast pace. And so there's been a lot of improvement in the dogs over the years. The style of dog is a fast-paced trotting dog. With age not being a factor, would you rather race the Iditarod back in the early days or today? Oh, well, if I weren't if I weren't eighty nine years old, <laughs> I guess uh, I guess if if I had kept up with all the technical aspects of the race today. The medications, the, the, the veterinarian care uh, adds, to, adds to the complexity of it. Uh, the, the sleds used to be all handmade wooden sleds, and then they turned into having uh, uh, part, certain plastics built into the sled. Now the titanium sleds, I mean, it's just so much different. I, I, would, I, I would like to run the race when I see them leave the, leave the starting line 
But then that night, I'd just soon be home in a warm bed mm -hmm. instead of out there at 30, 40 below zero. Uh, but as far as actually running the race, I don't think I, I don't think I could, uh, I don't know if I could even finish today's race without being up on everything that has changed over the years. Our final segment of the show is a segment we are bringing back from our first season. It is called Mushroom Ro Rushmore. If you had to replace the four presidents on Mount Rushmore with four faces of their drug, who would they be? You can't pick anyone that has anything to do with their drug. I'm Mount Rushmore. I'm with the four faces be. Well, I think I'd go back to way back in 1925 during the Nome Serum run, it would have to be Leonard Suppola. Uh, and then, and then a guy from Fairbanks that did a lot of breeding with dogs, Gareth Wright. And then a veterinarian from Massachusetts uh, probably Dr. Roland Lombard. And then Joe Reddington Sr. would have to be one of them as, as the, the head guy for the getting the uh, Iditarod started. Thank you for talking with us today. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Well, thank you so much for inquiring, and uh, I, I hope I've uh, I hope I've added a little bit to to your ideas about the Iditarod. Special thanks to Dick Mackey for being on our show today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on our show, please email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our intro song, the Dara Trail song, and our outro song, Reddington Run. this race, the Adira Trail. To me, it's Reddington's Run. In my heart, it's Reddington's Run.